Doctor, will you please tell the councillors what you have told me? Yes, of course. And some of what I will tell you relates to events in the future. Not only on this planet, but also on others whose existence you don't even know of. But my knowledge is scientific fact. Now, Davros has created a machine creature, a monster, which will terrorize and destroy millions and millions of lives and lands throughout all eternity. He has given this machine a name, a Dalek. It is a word new to you. But for a thousand generations, it is a name that will bring fear and terror. Now, undoubtedly, Davros has one of the finest scientific minds in existence. But he has a fanatical desire to perpetuate himself in his machine. He works without conscience, without soul, without pity. And his machines are equally devoid of these qualities. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, uh, hello, it's Scott. It's Scott. Uh, uh, That's a long hello. whiff. <laughs> hello, hello, Scott. Uh, this week we are continuing our dive through uh, Genesis of the Daleks, which we began last week. So if you missed last week's episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to last week's episode for some fun How Did This Episode first get made and the career off let me try and guess his name dalek man don't remember his name oh well um <laughs> <laughs> what was his name terry nation terry nation terry He's nation like one of there the most is. famous so- so- sci-fi creators of all time sounds sounds like a fake name though <laughs> sounds like a fake name um but yeah uh, we do- dove into the career of terry nation last week and then looked at the first two episodes of genesis of the daleks uh, scott has got a bit more writer's corner this week before we dive into episodes three and four of genesis of the daleks so scott why don't you just immediately take it away from me yeah this week we're looking at the director of the episode or story david maloney he's the second most he has directed the second most doctor who episodes right behind douglas camfield who we talked about in the time meddler He's directed 46 episodes in total, which is mental. <laughs> That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, so he started his career as a journalist. Uh, he was he was a journalist for Birmingham's Evening Dispatch for five years. Uh, he wanted to act. He had about eight years of work in theatres in the West End of London, which is a long time. And he grew tired of acting in 1961 and decided to join the BBC as a floor manager. Um, when he applied, he was warned on the appointments board that he would never, ever, ever have the opportunity to become a director. <laughs> hmm. Ah, that's so. That was very true then. Very, clearly very true. <laughs> His first ever gig on Doctor Who was as a floor assi- was as a an assistant to Christopher Barry on the Romans and with D- Douglas Canfield again on the Time Meddler, which we kicked off a year on, which was a very good story. Uh, yeah, I, I I very much enjoyed the Time Meddler. Probably one of the best Hartnell episodes there is. <laughs> it's slim pickings. <laughs> it is. It is very. It is. It is indeed. In 1965, he walked into the studio to see the new, uh, to see the crew shooting the Web Planet, which is an episode we've both seen. Sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It's it's it it completely stopped me watching through Classic Who, like that episode 
dead in its tracks stops me being able to <laughs> to watch through classic who in in like release order uh yeah because but... i got i got to that story and i just didn't want to continue because i was like i can't get through this it's painful i i feel you bro um it's probably an episode we will never cover <laughs> <laughs> well we'll run out of episodes eventually um, eventually we'll we will have to cover oh no just imagine planet. us being like 55 years old having to do <laughs> web planet yeah um so um so he was very highly impressed with the enormous scale of some of the insect creatures like the idea that we were doing something so huge in such a small studio with a tiny budget really impressed him which the outfits in that story is pretty darn good for the time. No, I they're love. Not. They're they're bad. They're bad outfits. <laughs> they they are hilariously bad. Um, uh, I the the ideas behind them, like a giant ant and a giant bee. Sure, the idea behind it is very creative, and the ambition behind it is to be applauded. The execution, however, <laughs> leaves stuff to be desired. <laughs> well, you know. The web planet is a story with a lot of um, smearing of the cameras. Like every every shot is blurry for some reason. And there's also a lot of buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever you can actually see the costumes, I was pretty impressed. It's, it's more like I, performance I was, art I was, than an actual. I was I was I was in stitches laughing every time I saw it because those <laughs> bee people looked ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so he loved the imagination behind the web planet, which led to him taking part in the BBC's director's course, which he completed in 1968, and he so was soon contacted to be the director on three stories for season six, The Mind Robber, The Crotons, and The War Games. So he wrote, so he, so he directed 19 episodes of a 44-episode season. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that, that, what a workload, what a workload that is to undertake. Yeah, that sounds so rough of a schedule for a first-time director. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, well, I mean, if you know, oops, sorry, if you love it, you know, it's great. I would, I would honestly kill for the BBC to give me nineteen projects to direct. Like, <laughs> um, uh, how about a remake of the Web Planet? Oh, yeah, easy, because I can't make it any worse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so after his 19 episodes, he took a four years break from his show, which I don't blame him. Uh, he wanted yeah. to become a freelance director to become more mobile with other projects. Uh, he returned to direct Planet of the Giants in the Pertwee era. Sorry, Planet of the Daleks, not the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before returning two years later on Genesis of the Daleks. So he was very into the Dalek stories for a while. On Planet of the Daleks, he discovered that shooting the Daleks on location was a nightmare, so in Genesis, he focused on keeping the Daleks entirely entirely studio-based, like, even recreating battlefields in the studio, just so... Because doing Daleks in on the streets in 1970-whatever was a nightmare. <laughs> They're just wobbling about doing, all over the place. Uh, doing any sort of robotic creature that doesn't have legs back then was a nightmare. I mean, K9, very oh, famously, a nightmare dog. Like <laughs> bad dog. Yeah. Um. After Genesis, uh, he directed three more stories: Planet of Evil, The Deadly Assassin, which is one of the best stories ever made. We need to do that very soon, and The Talons of Ren Chang. 
<clears throat> uh, Terry Nation said that the production value on Genesis was the best in years, and he considered it to be the best Doctor Who story for that reason. And also, I guess because he has an eagle and it's also his writing, but let's yeah, ignore that yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Maloney wound up as the producer on Blake, uh, Blake 7 between 1977 and 1979 for this reason. Which again, just bringing up Blake 7. <laughs> yeah, it's always coming up. It's always popping up its head. Blake's, I know nothing about it other than the name. <laughs> it's its such a fascinating piece of sci-fi his medium, you know, Uh I, we have access to it. I could watch Blake Seven yeah. right now if I wanted to, and I'm not. I'm not going to. You yeah, know? <laughs> we need to find a way of doing it. It'd be fun. Uh, Colin Baker's yeah. in Blake Seven. Interesting. Interesting. After Blake Seven, he produced the last series of When the Boat Comes in 1981, as well as a BBC adaptation of A Day of the Triffids, uh, which I don't know. I've never seen any of those. <laughs> I've never heard of either of them, yeah. Um, after this, he began to travel the world, producing various documentaries for ITV, with his last credited show being Family Pride, which was a short-lived 1991 soap opera. Um, he would provide commentaries on various Doctor Who and Blake 7 DVDs for through the late 90s to the early 2000s. He sadly died in 2006, aged 73. So that's okay. David Maloney. Excellent. What a busy, busy man. An interesting career. I tell you, the BBC back then was so different, wasn't it? You could just rock up to them, go to their director's school, and then work on Doctor Who for the next 20 years as you're sorted. Oh, yeah. Like... Just, it sounds so much easier getting into the industry back then. As long as you're a white course. man, yeah. immediate yeah. access. <laughs> just You could just walk in the door and be like, can I have a job? And they'd be like, do you have any qualifications? No, you're in. <laughs> like, easy. Easy. Oh, uh, God, if we were Wait, so lucky. Yeah. I know. Nightmare. But do you want to uh, get into Genesis of the Daleks episode 3? Yeah, I guess. Uh, let us dive in now <laughs> to Genesis. Genesis of the Daleks. Part three. This is the measure of my faith, Nida. It is a simple chemical formula. If the substance is loaded into artillery shells and fired onto the surface of the Carled Dome, it will weaken the molecular structure and make it brittle. Your rocket will then be able to penetrate without resistance. Why are you giving us this information? You know that your own people, the Carleds, will be utterly exterminated. No price is too great to pay for peace. I only ask that when the war is over, I be allowed to help in the reconstruction of our planet. We want only to see the conflict brought to an end. This formula gives you the power to bring that about. My dawn tomorrow, our world could be at peace. The episode begins uh, way, way further back than the episode ended last week. Uh, We get a whole sequence of Sarah Jane climbing up the scaffolding and some people that are dressed weirdly like green superheroes. They're all in like green uniforms and have like these yellow eye goggles on that look like they're superhero masks. They make me think like, you know, like like Robin's mask, you know, where it's just like an Mm. eye covering. It makes me think of the... That's what it looks like to me and... What is it called? The Aquabots? Are they, you know, the singing group of superheroes? Do you know what I'm on about? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're on about. The Aquabots. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I actually do know what you're on about. I I recognize these people. <laughs> they're they're American rock bands. Yeah, I don't know what their deal is. I don't know if they come from a TV show or what. Or are they for kids? I don't know. They're a band. They're are they're they for a band. Kids, though? <laughs> I, I, I don't think, know if they're for kids or if they're like a comedy band. I think we just had a TV show. The Aquabats are an American. Yeah, the Aquabat show, and I think um, Jack Black was in their series final, apparently. So that was cool. I saw that. Interesting. Jack the Black Ar- is cool. They look like they look like they would be for kids, but also they look like they're like a comedy group for like uh, people on the internet. So. Oh my god, their website has an amazing font. <laughs> uh, what font is it? Okay, so they're they're currently they're currently on tour with Bowling for Soup. Nice. Or they will be later <laughs> this year. So so I get I guess they're a band I'm, I'm for ca- adults because Bowling for Soup's not a band for kids. Yeah, but then Bowling for Soup do a theme song to Jimmy Neutron. There's some crossover. <laughs> But Jimmy Neutron's not for kids. Jimmy Neutron's a grown-up. Jimmy Neutron's for grown-ups. Right? uh, Yeah, sure. Whatever you say. What are we talking about? How did we get to this conversation? Hang on. Uh, I'm trying to... their, Their lyrics seem relatively clean, but... Yeah, the Aquabot Super Show was... Created by the two creators of Yo Gabba Gabba. Interesting. Do you remember uh, Yo Gabba Gabba? <laughs> I know the name. I know the name, but I never watched it. It's like one of the worst the kids shows I've ever seen. Kids. Jack Black was also in Yo Gabba Gabba, so maybe he has connections to the two creators of it. <laughs> okay, so the Aquabot Super Show is definitely for kids. So, uh, but I don't know if the the ba- I guess the oh my god they're a ska band, okay so they're like a regular ska band <laughs> that got a kids TV show, amazing. Um, parents need to know that the Aquabat Super Show is a high energy blend of campy superhero shows, think old school Batman and modern kids shows, which means lots of eye candy, noise, absurdity, and a surprising number of rather intense images that makes this a bit of a gamble for younger <laughs> viewers. Sounds like the best show um, ever made. Uh, on, Wik- on, yeah, on Wikipedia, one of the quotes is, if a person is over 30, I'd say it's like Batman meets the monkeys with a little bit of Sid and Marty Croft in it. If they're under 30, I'd say Power Rangers meets Flight of the Concords, which I feel like Flight of the Concords would be the way you describe it to a person over 30, because under 30 don't know about Flight of the yeah. Concords. <laughs> I'm confused. I don't know. I'm under 30, and I, I, know, I know about Flight of the Concords. Uh <laughs> Uh, but back back to the episode. Um, Sarah Jane like goes to fall off the sh- the scaffolding, and she just hits on like a piece of flooring, like not that far down below her, so it's not that scary. And then she gets back up, and they start climbing again uh, until they get captured at the top of the tower, where Sarah Jane is left standing by herself at the edge. Uh, and she the guy's like, "Right, you gotta come across. You know, you gotta you gotta come across." And then she like falls, and he grabs her by the wrist. Uh, the, I really don't like this whole opening to the episode. It's like a relatively action-packed way to open the episode to kind of suck you in, but all of the staging feels weird and kind of out of place. You know, nothing 
I, I never get a sense really of where anybody <clears throat> is or what's really going on. Yeah, um, I watch this all the time, so I'm coming to it as a, you know, as a perspective of it being a '70s show. And for a '70s show, I think it's pretty good model work mixed in between some actual sets. And obviously, if you don't have a budget to actually make the whole thing look realistic, so we're trying our best. And I think it looks mm-hmm. pretty decent for what it is. Yeah, yeah, it it looks decent for what it is. I it just it goes on really long, and I don't care about what's going on, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, but there's a really dark line as well, where the guy that's holding Sarah Jane by the arm, he's like, you know, they say people uh, die if they fall from really long heights; they die before they hit the ground. I don't believe that. Do you? It's like Jesus Christ, this is a children's show, like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he pushes Sarah Jane off of the edge, one of the foul soldiers, and then just holds him, holds her by the wrist, which is, Jesus, this really shows that the fouls are pretty bad, you know? Like, they're not the same fouls as in the very first appearance of them, you know, where they're, like, pacifists. Um... Anyway, yeah, the episode continues as we cut away from that scene to the Doctor and Harry walking through some caves as they're escaping through the prison. And and this here, we get a really important action scene. I think you're, <laughs> you'll agree. A really important character development, uh, incredible storytelling as they come across a giant clam. Um, <laughs> and, and this giant clam then... Um, like, does Harry just, like, walk into it? I forget how he even... He does, doesn't he? He just walks into it like an absolute idiot. Yeah, you know, Harry Harry Sullivan is an absolute imbecile, as the Doctor would say in multiple episodes. Yeah, um, he's basically the comic relief. He's almost as bad as Ian from the Dalek movies, but not quite as bad. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the whole clam thing is what people point to when they talk about filler inside of this episode. Um, it's not, it's not the worst thing, you know, we've had entire episodes which is just filler, like, when Victoria is cooking in the kitchen in episode three of the, of the um, what the fuck was the episode called again? Enemy, the Enemy of the, the world. world. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't the worst filler we've seen on the show so far. <laughs> it's not, but it's maybe some of the silliest filler we've <laughs> mm. seen. Like... You know, Harry walking into a giant clam and then a solid minute, minute and a half of them trying to fight the clam to get it off Harry's leg is ridiculous. Like, it's some of the most absurd filler we've had. Like, you know, Sarah Jane walking around a nuclear plant in dead silence for half an episode. Sure, that's really bad filler, but at least it's like... I don't know, normal. This is this is goofy. This is really goofy. It feels out of place in such a dramatic yeah. episode. You know, a, such a dramatic story where everything has been so relatively grounded and relatively like, you know, oh god, is is this the right thing to do? Is what's what's going on? We're creating the Daleks. This is kind of scary. And then there's like a giant clam eats Harry's leg. <laughs> it's such a a left turn for the episode to suddenly take. You know, the whole concept of the Doctor and Harry exploring the wilderness. Um, encountering Davros's failed experiments is such a fun concept in theory. It feels very seventies, you know. It feels like it's it comes direct from a seventies horror movie, like a B horror movie. 
And you're right, it is it is very silly, which is funny when Terence Dix describes the final outcome of this episode. He's like, it's very good. There was a few moments where I would change it so, you know, it's lighter in tone. And I feel this is as light as it gets throughout the entire story. This is a very light <laughs> moment. Uh, the clam itself is all. I, I, it I really is, don't. Uh, I really don't it, mind. This is it, definitely the lightest it gets because it gets it gets pretty miserable in the second half of this story, and the part four is is a miserable time as well. But it's good. It's it's decent. The doctor and Harry then come across some bars uh, in which the doctor tries to rip them open, like he's some sort of superhero, and Harry comes to help him, and he's like, "They're pretty rusted. Let's pull these open." Which I feel like. Like, there could have been an easier... Like, why don't you get, like, a rock and try to, like, bash it or something? Like, your first instinct is, I'm going mm. to stretch these bars. I'm Do not going to try and break my way through or cut my way through. I'm going to stretch them with my big, strong muscles. To be like... to be fair on Harry, it does look pretty weak, you know? It, it, does, it does move yeah, quite but... considerably because it's 1970s Doctor Who and everything moves <laughs> so easily. Yeah, that's true. Um... Uh, we then cut to Davros flipping everybody off, uh, giving everybody the finger as he's talking to other Daleks and uh, his lackey dude. Uh, I, I make this joke because the back of his armrest looks like the middle, like yeah. a middle finger. It's <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, it's like Mickey Mouse giving you the middle finger. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they're talking about how great the Daleks are and how wonderful everything is. Uh, nothing to worry about and then my ITVX is going to load and I can't see what scene I'm actually looking at Nice. Uh, yes this is then the scientists start talking to one another after Davros leads uh, and I really like the scene where they're kind of talking in hushed tones like yeah. I'm really worried about what we're doing I don't think what we're doing is ethical at all Do, you know we have to find a way to try and stop this uh, which is a recurring theme throughout this episode uh, where you know People aren't all agreeing with Davros. In fact, most of the Khaleds don't agree with Davros, yeah. which was a really fun twist I liked in this story that I didn't see really coming, is the Khaleds and the Thals kind of swap places on the morality side of things, don't they? They do. It's really interesting. You know? um, also, they really speak to each other in hushed tones, and it's very stage acting here, you know, because... We're like six feet away from each other, really. <laughs> yeah, they are. But you know, that's stage acting is is kind of the way that just things people acted back then. Yeah, really, you know, it's by show on Doctor Who when there's only like four sets in total. Uh, we then cut to um, a scene with this. It's like a. It's like um, the uh, Khaled like Congress of like opposition leaders and whatnot speaking uh mm -hmm. in more hushed tones but they have they're having like a secret meeting uh where they're getting the doctor to tell them like you know everything he knows about the daleks and what the Khaled people will turn into and things like that and you know how did the doctor get here we, we just saw him go through the wilderness to the college uh, to the files uh-huh but he's he's just back in the base now to, to the files base and everyone's okay with it yeah He's not with the Thals. He's with the he's with the Khaleds right now. Is he? Yeah, you've even seen the Nazi yeah, no, dude no, that arrested him in the first place. They're in this place because it's uh, I think it's I don't know. I think it's in the middle ground or something, right? So it's like away from the Khaleds. But they've got the map in front of them, like it looks exactly the same as the map that they was getting interrogated with by the Nazi dude who's in this room with him right now. No, well, 
Oh, God, I can't remember now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like the the young dude. The young dude. That's, he's standing yeah, no, right okay, next to the yeah. doctor. I he's the guy yeah, that was interrogating yeah, okay, him. I don't know. Like... <laughs> like... I don't, I, he's just, don't worry about how the doctor's there or where, or where even they are. Like, <laughs> it's the only bit where I was like, I like what they're talking about. It's really interesting where the doctor's giving this really, really good speech about how evil the Daleks are and all the things that he's seen them do and all the lives and things that they've taken and things like that. It's, I was just thrown off. I was like, wait, what, 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 where is everybody right now? Last thing I saw was the doctor was pulling bars apart. How did he get here? Who are these people? How did they talking to the doctor? They know who the doctor is. Oh, the Nazi dude's here. Why is he here? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> then we cut briefly to Sarah Jane uh, with the Mutos uh, in what continues to be the weakest story in this entire, entire... Uh, I, I'm trying to look for another word than story. Tale, I guess. Uh, you know, the the... The subplot with Sarah Jane is the least interesting um, yeah. thing, I think. It's a common theme in Classic Who that whenever a female companion is split away from the Doctor, they are always given nothing to do. Like, we just saw it with Victoria in Enemy of the World. Oh yeah, just go into the kitchen and cook for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. This, thankful, I, you know, this is better than that, at least. Yeah. You know, Sarah Jane is... is, is She's trying, I think, she's trying to just survive at this point, uh, you know, and she, uh, it's not great. It's just, it suffers from being uninteresting because the Mutos don't really have, like, any sort of character or agency mm. to them. They're just kind of abused the entire time by the Thals, which is a really good way of showing us that the Thals are pretty nasty dudes. It's, uh, it's just, I don't know, something about it doesn't work for me. Yeah, there's there's a uh, lack of agency in what Sarah Jane is doing, yeah. I think. Um, in the original script, she was supposed to be suffering from radiation poisoning, but that was scrapped. I think it was because it was too similar to the very first Dalek story where everyone is suffering from radioactive poisoning. Uh, yeah, I guess. But, like, I mean, that could have been, like, a cool, like, homage. You could have done mm. that as, like, an homage, you know? Like, a, a nice little throwback to remember the last time, uh, you know, the first time with the Daleks here when everyone got sick. Now it's just Sarah Jane, lol. You know? Like, <laughs> you could you could play, play off something interesting with that. Whereas here the radiation doesn't, like, Sarah Jane's, like, immune to the insane amount of radiation that she is absorbing. Like, it's, it, they've showed us before, it's in toxic levels of radiation, and she's openly handling yeah. all these, like, radiation canisters while the Thals are in full, full Simpsons radiation suits, you know? She, she should die. She should be dead. You know, like, Sarah Jane is an expert in radiation, <laughs> as we've seen in the Hand of Fear. <laughs> yes, yes, she knows all about it. Uh, she had a very good tour of that facility. Um... <laughs> Then we get a scene that is good, although uh, you pointed out as well that it would be better if it wasn't here, where we have a head, head, science, head Nazi man talking with um, Davros, where he's talking about how the uh, opposition is um, planning secretly to to undermine davros and that the scientists you know there's people working against davros right now and they need to, to to stop it and davros is like this isn't the first time this has happened uh you know there's often been people trying to stop my work but we will never we will never stop um 
And another thing that I did like about this, especially with Davros's performance in this episode, which you see more and more as it goes on, the more and more angry he gets and the more irritated he becomes, the more he starts sounding just like a Dalek. Yeah. He stops sounding he stops sounding like himself and he just becomes like full robot voice. Yeah, which is a great little addition to and also his his um his eye, which is at the in his forehead. It begins to light up, which yes. you don't actually see very well because of the lighting inside of a studio. And also the batteries wound up for the night and it just broke in general because it's 1970s Doctor Who. So. <laughs> it's, it's classic Who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, the episode continues as we cut back to the Doctor and Harry uh, and they get told that uh, they're going. To, the politicians have decided to suspend Davros's, um invent like what research and experiments for now until they can come to a formal decision on what to exactly do moving forward um and then the doctor and harry's like oh wait hang on we need to find sarah jane as well where's, <laughs> where's, she's, she's not with us where's sarah jane uh and the nazi dude's like oh uh we've got spies with the thals by the way and they say sarah jane's over there so you guys might want to go over there to get sarah jane but then i'm not helping you anymore um although like as much as i'm like i don't know how i feel about this nazi dude suddenly being on the doctor's side and being okay with the doctor i do like the moment where he starts talking about um something that davros has done or the shield that davros has built over the city Mm -hmm. so that they you know the thals don't stand a chance and he's like davros is genius he's just last month he matched and he becomes all fervent again and the doctor's like yeah whatever shut up and then he kind of goes back to being this like oh yeah i'm on your guy's side uh where it's kind of like you know this this programming and this um uh like brainwashing almost of following davros no matter what is is still inside of him even if he doesn't fully believe it he because that's part of him still can click into action when he's like oh but davros did this amazing thing and he's so cool you know i i kind of like that but i i, I guess you know just pacing and time and stuff they didn't for me anyway they didn't really establish enough that this is the dude that is breaking away and he's okay with the doctor and everything now he's the one that's helping them out it just uh- feels like they picked a random guard from the previous episode I mean, I don't think the actual politicians of the college race are evil. They're just normal politicians. I think Davros is the one that's evil, and everyone in his bunker mm-hmm. is is conditioned by Davros, but the counsellors and all that, they don't know what's going on with Davros, so they're not brainwashed by him. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking about the guard. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the guard is. I'm not sure what his deal is in this episode. It feels rather contrived. Yeah, but what are you going to do? We then cut immediately to the politicians telling Davros that they need to suspend all of uh, his work and he needs to stop it. uh, And he's got like 12 hours to do it. Um, And I really I really liked this scene, mainly because it, you know, it's not like a loud evil like, no, you will not shut me down. Davros instead is like playing chess with him where he's like, okay. I'm gonna stop my plans. I completely agree with what you're saying. What you're saying makes sense. I a hundred. You can trust me. You guys should leave, and I'll do that now. The second you turn around and leave, I'm gonna stop doing my work. Just like I said, you could. You're saying the work I'm doing. You you don't know if it's good. Or you don't know if you can trust me. You can trust me to stop doing it. I swear. Uh, it's just it's a really good scene I really like it yeah this whole scene with Davros it feels like Davros is acting like Katori (laughs) (laughs) not to get too political on this show but it feels like a Tory move yeah 
Um, I also like the second that he leaves, uh, we, we hear a bit more about Davros's plan where he's like, you know, we're going to go get, we're going to go work with the Thals to wipe out the Khaleds and turn the Khaleds into Daleks. I no longer care about Khaled people. I only care about Dalek people, you know, and that's the way to go. And, you know, you were saying earlier that you thought the first scene with, um, Davros's right-hand man kind of gave away the fact, the twist of the next yeah. episode that he's that he's working with Davros the whole time. For me, I didn't experience that because I think this scene put enough like put that seed of doubt yeah. in me where he's got the line, he's got the line where he's like, you know, you you're you're going to like wipe out all of the Khaled people? That that you you'd mm. go that far? <clears throat> uh where it's like that that line of you'd go that far where he's like, "Oh crap, hang on." I don't know if I would go that far. Would put, made me believe in the next episode that he would work against yeah. Davros. And don't... then when that twist happens, spoilers for like 40 minutes from now, when that tw- twist happens, I was like, oh, damn, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I forgot about the extent of this scene. I haven't seen this episode in a while, so forgive my bad memory <laughs> of it. But yeah, it, it does plant the seeds of doubt. And when you know the twist of him working with Davros all along in the next episode, this scene now feels kind of out of place doesn't it <laughs> it feels weird that he would kind of like have this moment of doubt where he's like hang on you did go that far like he's just he's like he's like davros's number one fan yeah but i you know it's it's a scene i guess more for the audience than for mm-hmm. the plot uh but then the doctor and harry are with the Khaleds. no they're with the thals now uh coming up from uh underground hatch that leads directly into their base don't worry about how anybody gets to locations anymore because the scripture doesn't uh (laughs) the doctor and harry are then spying uh listening in on a conversation davros is having with the um the thals uh through a cat flap on in a door (laughs) things stop stop like i like the overall story and the conversations people are having but the direction in which people get the information and how they get to the locations i'm so confused (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we're not even listening through the cat flap cat flap is just there for no reason really yeah but like they're like crouched down next to yeah. it you know so it's like a, uh, maybe they're listening through it but the cat flop is also closed so, <laughs> like... i mean a closed cat flop is like thin material so i guess you could still i guess I, but, but why it looks is... kind of metal it looks like it's metal but, yeah. like, but like... why a cat flop is there a cat here do, do the files just have yeah. pets i i hope <laughs> like later on in the episode we'll see like there's um the controls to an electric fence at like you know crawling level yeah i I hope a cat never (laughs) fucking presses up by mistake you know because that is pretty low down and cats are apparently wandering around this facility (laughs) yeah yeah there's just loads of cats there's just loads of cats with the thals um also i just thought of what could have probably be much better staging for this that would make a lot more sense is you know that hole in the ground they come up from yeah uh, well it's going to make as much sense as a hole in the ground's going to make <laughs> why doesn't that hole in the ground come up inside the room that yeah. davros and the thals are talking in so that way the doctor pop it open they go oh crap davros is here and then they just kind of <laughs> open it a crack and they listen in to the conversation that's going on so they're spying mm-hmm. on this conversation 
underneath Davros without him realizing as he's talking about all this with the the guys rather than coming up walking around a corridor yeah. knowing Davros <laughs> is in the next room and listening through a cat flap like that feels way more like what's going on than just the coincidence of they pop up in the same room yeah you like know? like he just opened up a scene on Davros talking to these uh foul soldiers and then all of a sudden you yeah. zoom down on the floor and you see the doctor peeking at his head above a hole in the ground yeah that would have yeah, worked exactly. so much better but you know <laughs> you want to go back in time uh, yeah you want to go back 50 I would, years yeah go back and we'll be like okay let's let's what you've written <laughs> is great but what's going on is nonsense like, <laughs> <laughs> uh but i really i really really liked this scene with davros and the thals because again this episode is dark and this this gets way darker than i was expecting it to get where davros is talking with the thals and he's like this here is the chemical plans. If you put these on your bombs, they will obliterate our shields and destroy our people. And the Thals are like, wait, ha hang on. You're just going to let us kill your own people. And Davros is like, I don't care about my people anymore. I just want peace. I just want to end the war. And my people are never going to end this war. You know, it, it has to be you you to, to do this. And I just, this is the last option we've got. And he's got a great line where he's like, there could be peace tomorrow. You know, mm -hmm. we could be waking up to, to a peaceful planet tomorrow. And I'm like, God damn. The dialogue in this scene is just superb, you know? And the Thals being this, you know, pretty morally dark people where they're yeah. like, they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to, we are going to kill your people. You're yeah. giving this up. We're not going to say no. We will wipe out your race. Like, if you give us that option, we will do it. You know, it's, it's a, it's a really good scene. A really, really good scene. Also, just the performance of Michael Wisher in a scene as Stavros, putting on a performance is really good as well. It's just, he, Michael Wisher is so good at that. Uh, Tom Baker was even like, I, I think Michael Wisher has this under control. I could leave the set and Michael Wisher could just sell the show completely because he's doing so well. Because a lot of the time, Tom Baker has to act against like, has to act against like glove puppets or whatever but here he's yeah. like here there's a capable actor who's able to carry the show like no such wonder davros has um had such an impact on doctor who you know eight eight episode audio drama series i need to listen to that <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, davros is one of the most iconic like arch enemies of the doctor for a reason isn't he you know He's he's up there with the master a lot yeah. of the time, you yeah. know, as as like the arch villains of of Doctor Who is is the master and Davros is usually the second name in that conversation. Yeah, what works so well um, about Davros is he's kind of the opposite of the Doctor, and we've covered like four episodes now this year about a villain being the opposite of the Doctor. With Time Leader, he's the opposite of the Doctor because. The Doctor doesn't want to change history. He wants uh, the Time Letter wants to change history. With the enemy of the world, he's literally against himself, basically. And with mm -hmm. um, Terra of the Autons, you know, the Master is Moriarty to the Doctor. And here, um, Davros has the same scientific mind as the Doctor, but he has no moral compass. So this is what the Doctor mm -hmm. could become if he had no moral compass, really. Yeah, yeah, which is is a cool way of looking at it, you know. Uh, it's it's strange how similar he is. Like if you think like towards like mastery, because you know the master is very similar to the doctor as well, mm -hmm. and Davros. But I I think they cover different shades where the master is like that adventuring side 
to the doctor where the doctor could go on a bit he could mess with time he could mess with people he could make himself a god if he wanted you know whereas davros is like the scientist side of the doctor where yeah. he, he could run these experiments he could mutate people he could make people like he could change the world for the better or the worse if he really wanted to because he's a super genius you know it's the different shades of the doctor it's why like you know it's the classic way of writing villains it's why all the like batman villains are super interesting because they're all like shades of who batman is presented mm -hmm. in different ways um I, I don't know why I brought Batman up. I just, it came to my mind. I just installed Arkham Asylum again, so I'm, I'm oh, looking yeah. forward to playing um, it. It reminds uh, me of the Miracle, the Miracle of Sound song. You know what I'm talking about? Miracle of Sound, yes. yes. I, I, I adore Miracle of Sound. Uh, Gav is one of my, my all-time favorite artists of all time. Absolute like, babe. Their Love song it. about the Joker might be the best depiction of the Joker, I think, because it just nails, yeah. it's just nails what the joker is to the to the batman you know it's it's perfect yeah do you want to know a fun fact scott no Mir miracle miracle of sound is one guy nice okay it's it, it's it's not a band it is it's he gav does all the instruments all the vocal he does everything so I mean, it's a one-man show <laughs> okay it's fair incredible. enough well I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, a one a one man can still be a band you know yeah, so it's very famous, a one-man band. Like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, Miracle of Sound, fantastic music. I uh, highly recommend people listen to it. To be music. fair, I've only listened um, to Batman songs because I'm not familiar with a lot of video games. <laughs> wow, you suck. Um, they do some TV stuff as well. They've got some some of the, some of, uh, the Miracle of the Game of Thrones songs are very good. And they just uh, very recently released a song uh, about the boys. Nice. Oh God! Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. We um, could, we should help him write but, a song about Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as long as the the chorus is K nine, then I'll be sorted. Um, but we the episode continues as Davros and the his right hand man leave the meeting they're in with the Thals and immediately stop outside the door. Yeah. Uh, which is some interesting staging as well, uh, where they stop right outside the door and then they're like, ha ha ha, we were lying to them. Ha, yeah. they'll never, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to kill our people, but they don't know our secret plan because we were lying to them the whole time. <laughs> and what's great as well is if you look through the window of the door, you can see the Thals <laughs> just standing still. They're just frozen yeah. statues. They're, they're not, they're not doing anything. It's the 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 staging is is what lets this episode down a bit for me i think because yeah, i love the writing of this episode but that's a problem like... <laughs> with doing the show on a multi-camera set and you have to have them in the same set we can't it's yeah. it's very awkward yeah the whole thing of the files just standing there like for tea posing video game characters <laughs> just waiting to load or whatever um, if this was made in the modern day, you could imagine it being this conversation being set, you know, in the back seat of the car because they obviously have to drive back. There'll be to, movement. The, yeah, yeah. The, it'll be either in the back seat of the car or it'll be as they're walking towards the car. You know, they'll be yeah. do they'll be doing some sort of movement because Which, that is, you know, yeah, we do, directing one hundred and one. Yeah, I just watched. Well, obviously, Andor came out like last year. And they have a lot of scenes of just people having conversations in the back of cars about their secret plans, but they can't reveal their secret plans because the people driving the car are yeah. the enemy. So they have to speak in code. I imagine if this was made today, they'd be speaking in code in the back of the car because the files are driving them back to their home base. Mm-hmm. 
yeah uh just a curse of the time it was made really um but the Thals then come out uh, and they say, okay, we're going to nuke your planet immediately, by the way. Uh, we're launching those bombs right this second. So we, we're not, we didn't even really wait or think about it. You gave us the, the go ahead yeah. and we're doing it, <laughs> uh, which is great. It really shows how cool the Thals are. Um, then the Doctor and Harry walk up to two Simpsons characters <laughs> and the Doctor says, uh, can, uh, he's got a really funny line, I thought, where he's like, oh, can you help me out? I'm a spy. And then he just <laughs> knocks the two guys' heads together, which is, it's such a, it, it's like a funny line. It's a peculiar line to say uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> to them. Um, but it's it's also some, some classic Doctor Who action where it is, Oh, you God, know, yes. they didn't, they didn't, couldn't afford a choreographer, so they were just like, you bash their heads together, and then everyone kind, they kind of went along with it. A <laughs> lot of it is that the Doctor can't be shown to be a violent person, and like the only, the least violent way of doing it is something that the kids can actually do in real life. Because if you knock two people's heads together that hard in real life, it's not, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to knock them out. <laughs> you know? No. It reminds it, me. It's also, it's. It reminds me of when I was at school. There was a thing where people would bash two heads together and make them kiss. Do you remember this? Did this happen at your school? Like you just no, I don't think it did. Like two people would be talking and you put their heads together and say, "You may now kiss the bride." That's something that happened at my school, and it was the dumbest shit ever. <laughs> what? That did, yeah, that didn't. That did not happen at my school. That sounds. That sounds very strange. Uh, um. That's that's story before I leave. I was about to say something. Um, oh my god, what was I about to say? Yeah, oh, it's interesting that they didn't want the Doctor to be seen as a man of violence coming off the John Pertwee era. <laughs> True. Maybe the John Pertwee era Where was he... too violent for the Doctor, but even in the John Pertwee era, Maybe. he would just he would do the karate chop to the back of the head, which in real life wouldn't knock somebody out. So that's also yeah, it's like the Vulcan death grip. Yeah. Like... <laughs> uh but then we cut to sarah jane and she's like oh my god they're just gonna launch this rocket with us standing at the bottom and we're gonna burn alive they, they're they're gonna kill us <laughs> um but it's okay because uh two other guards come in knock out one of the the guard that's here but with a swift punch to the stomach uh and they reveal themselves to be the doctor and harry uh people are kind of teleporting at this point and they're just really quickly getting all the characters back together because everybody got so separated mm. and they're like, oh wait, hang on, because we're nuking everything, we need to kind of get our characters together again and get everybody lined up where we need them to be. Uh, it's it's alright and it doesn't, I don't think it detracts from the story in any way, it's just when you're talking about it and you're like, oh suddenly this character's here, suddenly these characters are here. Like the show, that doesn't give you time to establish anything, you just kind of have to roll with yeah. the punches with this that's episode. A, that's the problem with a lot of doc classic Doctor Who, there's a lot of going back and forth that they don't have the time or the budget or the set to really show them properly going back and forth so it's a lot of oh now i'm suddenly here and now the story can progress yeah. <laughs> you know it's like it's like in and um was it the time meddler where it cut to a close-up of of william hartnell but he was in a different location yes <laughs> like, wait hang on we're in a different location now <laughs> like you know it's, it's like super jarring transitions and stuff no actually like no actually it was yeah. just uh the terror of the autons where you think john pertwee is in the unit base and then suddenly yes, he's that in the was old it. lady's house was <laughs> <laughs> he was in the old lady's house yeah that was what it was oh my god 
just amazing just amazing what a great episode that was um but uh the doctor gets uh the mutants and sarah jane and harry to run away and go down the big hole that's in the hallway um for whatever reason there's a hole in the hallway for uh they run down the hole and a solid few seconds later because people were i guess just a little bit late off the mark guards come in and start firing bullets down like nobody's hell um down that hole which I'll, I'll give this episode one thing like whenever the guns are fired in this episode i'm like christ this kind of feels dark like yeah. when the episode opens to that massive gunfire shooting at all the mutants and and sarah jane and stuff i was like Gee, jesus christ this is a terror terrifying way and then when they're you've got two guards just unloading their guns down the pit that we've just watched our heroes escape down like it's this is a, a violent violent episode and it's i, I kind of dig it it's still not as bad as the opening of Resurrection of the Daleks, where all those fake policemen just fucking murder everyone inside. Oh, yeah. The very yeah. opening, yeah. like, ten characters die in the opening of Resurrection of the Daleks, before we even <laughs> yeah. meet the Doctor. Yeah, Doctor Who, uh, I mean, that's classic Doctor Who story, though, isn't it? Just as every season got on, they yeah. just got more and more violent. Like, <laughs> um but then we cut to the doctor trying to stop the rocket launch uh and he ends up like touching a fence as the guard that he knocked out crawls along the floor and touches the turn on the electric fence button that's located on the stairs <laughs> on the bot the ground of the stair there's like a heap of but it makes zero sense yeah as it, to why that's there it's like they've had the experience of being knocked out so many times <laughs> so they just yeah. know that we need to install the buttons down there but also the doctor touching the fence doesn't make sense yeah it's a lot of convenience <laughs> yeah it is it really is it's a lot of oh this is just this is how we're ending this episode uh and it, the episode ends with the doctor being electrocuted against the fence which is not a terrible uh cliffhanger it's very very much a classic style cliffhanger where it's how will the doctor get out of this yeah. one you'll need to tune in next week and see it's much better than last episode's cliffhanger that was a freeze frame uh it's nowhere <laughs> yeah. near as good as the first episode's cliffhanger with the, the davros reveal Agreed. You know? uh but that is the end of part three of this so before we jump straight into part four what are your your quick thoughts on this episode yeah, um, pretty good episode, I would say. It it begins to assemble the cast together again, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it it ends the whole Sarah Jane on her own arc, which is a good thing because that was the least interesting stuff of the last three episodes. Mm-hmm. Can you call it an arc? It's more of just like a wedge. <laughs> you know, it just kind of stopped any sort of story going on <laughs> i i enjoyed these i don't i don't hate any episode from genesis of a dog so it's just weaker episodes i think yeah i i think that's fair as well there was there's not been an episode where i felt bored so yeah. far i've not seen parts five and six yet you know there's just been bits where i'm like oh okay this is what's going on like a giant clam <laughs> remember there's a giant clam in this yep. episode it plays it plays into no factors at all yeah. <laughs> you, you begin to think uh, the clam is going to start singing or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is it it you know i think this is a very tonally weird episode because it has those silly moments but it's also a really yeah. grounded and really dark episode about davros betraying his own people mm. you know and davros betraying his own people 
I think is compelling as hell. I think it's so well written. I think it's so complex and casts so much actual depth onto the Khaled people, yeah. Davros himself, the Thal people. You know, there's so much awesome world building happening here and also giant clams. So really, it's got everything. I think this actually might be a perfect episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole Davros stuff feels so mature for Doctor Who, which is the best mm-hmm. possible move for, you know, because a lot of kids... Well, if you imagine kids starting a show art in 1963, they're going to be older now. And they're going to be less interested in Doctor Who. And I don't think newer kids would have been so interested in starting the show either. So you have to kind of get back that audience that may have not watched Doctor Who in a while and get them back into watching the show and also get a whole new, whole new viewers getting back into the show because you can't just cater towards kids all the time. So you need some kind of depth for the adults to be like, hey, this is actually a good show. Yeah, uh, I kind of like I kind of like the idea of Doctor Who growing up with its audience, you know. Yeah. Like as as its as its audience grows and can understand more complex ideas, the show can start diving into some more complex ideas, and then you reach even more people from before. And sure, every now and then you can have a a kiddie episode or a silly episode or whatnot, but you're also can, which is why I think Modern Who works so well. Yeah. Because Modern Who isn't afraid to do these complex, morally gray stories or these scary, violent stories or or sometimes just the silly stories, you know, Mm. where it's Nick Frost as Santa Claus. (laughs) You know, it's got a full spectrum of types of stories for yeah. them, which is one of the reasons why I think it's been so popular and such a great revival. I feel the same way about Star Wars, you know. We just had an episode of The Mandalorian mm. where, you know, we focus on that scientist dude. That was a big episode of The yes. Mandalorian. And it, it's like the moral ethics of science, which is basically what Davros is doing here. There's a lot of parallel lines mm-hmm. here. Um, but the very There la- is. The very latest episode, which is episode six of season three i think it was um was very silly and a lot of people are like oh this show is just too childish but star wars is a kid's show it's allowed to be childish you know yeah it's you know i've seen every episode of the clone wars yeah and i think the clone wars is a brilliant show i think because because for the exact same reason the clone wars has got some episodes where you're like okay this is (laughs) This is a kid show I'm watching. Yeah. And then it's got some of the best political drama I've ever seen in my goddamn yes. life. It's got some of the best character writing, some of the best action scenes I've ever seen, some of the most complex characters I've ever seen in my life. And then it'll have an episode where Jar Jar Binks goes and fucks a lady while Mace Windu's there. You know? Like, it's yeah. a wild show. It's it's <laughs> phenomenal. Absolute, absolute, uh, God, the Clone Wars is so goddamn good. Who watches <laughs> the Clone Wars when? oh yeah God, the, <laughs> there's so so many things i want to so many shows i want to talk about like, <laughs> uh but let's continue talking about this show we're not quite done yet as we dive in to genesis of the daleks part four welcome back you were right sarah about there being something nasty waiting for us i have read the initial reports of your interrogation the suggestion that you have traveled through space and time was utterly dismissed by the computer analysis. I imagine it had never been programmed for such a concept. Precisely. I, however, I am perhaps more flexible. 
Though the power of such travel is beyond my scientific comprehension, it is not beyond my imagination. Why did you come here? To stop the development of the Daleks. Why? Because having lived in what you would call the future, I have seen the carnage and destruction they have caused. Then my Daleks do go up. They do survive. Yes. As weapons of hate and machines of war. Fascinating. But there's still time to change all that. Why not make them a force for good throughout the universe? I could do it. Then do it. Be remembered for that. You have seen my Daleks in battle? Many times. I've fought against them. And do they win? Do they always win? Not always. They have been defeated, but never utterly defeated. The Dalek menace always remains. If, as you say, they become the supreme creatures of war, how can they lose? How can they fail? Misfortune, lack of information, sometimes overwhelming opposition. Yes, but tell me, how do the Daleks fail? No, Davros. That is a question that the future must keep secret. What mistakes do they make? You will tell me! No. You will tell me! No, I will not! Episode 4 begins in the exact place we left off episode 3 with the Doctor being electrocuted. Uh, and what's actually interesting here is the Doctor isn't saved in any way. He mm. just passes out. Which I think is a kind of a refreshing twist on the cliffhangers. Because, you know, my biggest complaint every time we watch Classic Who, uh, you know, I say it every time, is, oh, and the Doctor gets saved by this happening, or the Doctor yeah. gets, gets resolved this, or it's a fake out from this. But no, this time he just straight up passes out. He passes out and he wakes up arrested. You know, he wakes up uh, arrested by the Thals. Yeah. As the, t- time, the timer is counting down uh, to the launch of their rocket, and he just looks drained. He looks depressed, and he looks dead do you want to know there's nothing he, he's powerless you know do you, do you want to know why there's no resolution to the cliffhanger because it wasn't supposed to be a cliffhanger oh. <laughs> amazing um Brilliant. the cliffhanger that's was, a classic move <laughs> the cliffhanger was supposed to be the doctor's reaction to the rocket ship getting blown up and be like oh no so, uh, harry and sarah are in there that was the cliffhanger but um mm. I, I think the last episode overrun Somehow, even though it was a whole clam thing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just get yeah, just get rid of the clam bit and you're fine. And it's, <laughs> like... Yeah, that's weird. Uh, but I I think it works better that way, honestly. Mm. Uh, but then we cut to Davros playing a game of Among Us as him and all his scientists are like, somebody betrayed our people. Somebody gave away our secrets that only us knew. And Davros is like, well, it wasn't me. I was I was in <laughs> the, the engine room working on the engines, so it couldn't have been me. And that guy was with me, so he saw he can vouch for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're one... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's just trying to make people not think it was him, <laughs> even though he's about to murder them all anyway. Very um, sus. But we can then cut. Yeah, it is, it is sus behavior. Uh, he he was a red. He was definitely the reds among us guy, <laughs> for sure. Um, but we then cut back to the doctor uh, as he's watching this rocket launch, and he tries to stop it because for some reason the Thals installed a launch button and a self destruct button next to themselves. Uh, so like if they were like okay we're gonna launch our nuclear missile ah oh, I hit the wrong button now we're all dead <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you would do that 
like <laughs> there are also huge buttons there, and it's only two buttons yeah so it's so easy to yeah. make a mistake <laughs> they were like okay we're either we're, we either want to launch this or we want to just kill we want to blow or blow ourselves up and that that and the you know <laughs> what was why would why would they ever want to blow themselves up why not launch it what so in what scenario do they not need to launch a missile like <laughs> <laughs> um but the doctor is powerless to stop the missile launching and the Khaled city burns it completely explodes and burns and the doctor's got a great line where he's like i sent harry and sarah there which you said is supposed to be the cliffhanger i think it just works as a poignant line by itself you know yeah. uh, it's just like a really dark moment in this episode and it's fantastic i i i really enjoy th- how as this story goes on it's getting progressively and progressively more darker you know yeah. And also, yeah, again, the whole fouls committing genocide shows that there's no good side in wars. There's, there's, bl- mm-hmm. there's no black or white. It's, it's so good. It's so nuanced. Very rare for classic yeah, Doctor is. Who. It is. It is. This is, this is definitely becoming quite a standout episode. You know, I think I, I don't know if if enough people know about this episode. <laughs> I don't think enough people talk about how good this episode is. Um. But then we cut back to Davros with his Daleks as he's like, oh my god, our people have died. Uh, god, this is a moment that's going to be down in history. And, you know, everyone's now going to become a Dalek. And we're going to kill that scientist there because he's the one that betrayed us. Throw him out into space. Uh, and it, that sci- the scientist guy is like, it's the Superman scientist. He's yeah. like, no, it wasn't me. Davros, no, wow, what are you doing? And then he gets zapped by the Daleks, which you said is the first on-screen death uh of the daleks in this i mean in this, it's, it's in this story not ever not ever yeah. obviously yeah but when i in, said in it was a, when i said it was the first death to the daleks it's because obviously this is the daleks genesis in canon. And, yeah, yeah in canon yeah. basically um i like the how the daleks die i like how the daleks are introduced through shadow when they're coming down the whole mm-hmm. corridor is such a good way to reintroduce them to the story because the daleks in genesis of the daleks aren't really there you know yeah they're also they're not really proper daleks yet. yeah you know like they're they're not properly the full mutants yet they've they're not got all their emotions wiped yet because davros is just putting these plans in they're basically robotic shells that davros mm-hmm. is controlling you know it's it's like the body of a dalek without the dalek brain inside which um, is yeah that's exactly one of the complaints about people who don't like this episode i think it was less popular when it first came out because the idea of the daleks basically doing nothing because of davros being the front and center is was kind of upsetting to some people because i can see why because the daleks were really good really famous characters villains but now that we're like in the back seat getting controlled by davros and every story from now on to the end of the classic series has to focus on Davros rather than the Daleks. A lot of people think this is like the downside to the Daleks. I don't like they don't think the Daleks are effective anymore, which I disagree with. But you know, you know it, it reminds me of it. Um, makes me think of Darth Vader. Uh huh. Um, because you know Darth Vader in the original trilogy is this dark, imposing character. Mm-hmm. you know and he's this he's this big scary robot man but then you kind of find out that this big scary robot man's getting led by this dude who likes to sit in a chair and looks an awful lot like davros called the emperor 
Um, you know, and the big scary robot man's actually not a big scary robot man. He's just a dude, a sad dude. Okay, and then these other movies come out and they tell you that this big scary robot man is actually this like an experienced kid who's really angry and really upset and has a really hard life and gets manipulated by people and taken advantage of and it's a tragedy it's it's a sad story it's not a big scary imposing villain and a lot of people didn't like that because they wanted darth vader to be darth vader he wants to be badass and cool where really darth vader is a sad story it's a tragedy yeah. of a man that gets completely ruined by the society he's in you know and i think the daleks are similar because you know when the daleks first come they're just kind of faceless enemies they're just oh these are big bad robots they're kind of a uh we're kind of alluding to nazis in them but like you know we're still not fully saying anything they're just scary for the kids to be scared at and have fun sci-fi adventures when you bring in davros and stuff and you start talking about like oh he's murdering his own people he's manipulating his own people he's messing with the genes of his own people to turn them into mm. these killing machines i think it makes the daleks way more of a tragedy way more of a nuanced villain way more you know than a just a straight up haha exterminate you know like yeah. <laughs> And also, by this point, the Daleks have been featured in like 70 episodes of classic Doctor Who. So there's a point where you need to shift the focus and, you know, re renew the energy. Expand. But, yeah. yeah, expand. You know, do something refreshing with it, something new. Take a risk. Which is, wh yeah, which is why I liked when Chibnall finally got around to the Daleks because he did something very interesting where, mm -hmm. where his very first Dalek episode, at least, where the Dalek is kind of out of its shell and starts controlling that lady. That was really good Dalek stuff. Great episode. That's It's a really good episode. It is far and away the best New Year episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I want to talk about the actual the, the death of the guy. You know, it's the classic uh, invert the colors yeah. of the dude being zapped by the Daleks. But I, I, there's something about it in this episode where it's kind of terrifying when the colors mm. invert and you see the people being like, ah, and I, you know, I can just imagine, you know, imagine being a kid and you're watching this Doctor Who story and it's way darker than normal. Yeah. It's dealing with way more adult issues. And then suddenly these people are being zapped. Like, this is a terrifying story. God, if you're a yeah. kid watching this when it first airs, like it'd be, it would be incredible. Like... Oh god, yeah, it, it, it's it's nightmare fuel for sure. I can I can understand the complaints that came out of this episode. And also, I don't remember how I mentioned this last episode, but this is the first time you actually see when a Dalek shoot. You actually see the rays. It's because we talked mm. about it in the Dalek movie episode we did last year. It's because the technology to do that kind of overlay was in America, and it was too much money to try and ship over the film to america to get the special effect overlaid onto the film and obviously the technology didn't exist in the uk yet but this is the very first time we could actually do it apparently which yeah, it might, yeah it's so weird going back to classic who and not seeing the rays when the dalek shoots yeah, yeah. it's very strange uh, the, something we just kind of take for granted with the modern daleks isn't it as they mm. just fire big laser beams you know um but we then cut to the Doctor uh, with the Thals, and they're adding even more layers of depth to the Thals, is the leader of them is like, well, we've just committed genocide, so let's release all of the prisoners we've got, and we're going to drop all charges against them. They're, everybody's free to go. The war is over. 
you know let's yeah. let's move on let's live in a time of peace now you know we'll show that we are our kind gentle people after nuking their people like the the Khaled's aren't fully dead there's Khaled prisoners more than just the doctor clearly with the Thals because the Thal leaders like let's release all of our prisoners and drop charges so what are these Khaled people going to be doing yeah you know they're just <laughs> released and told to go back to your life and pretend like nothing has happened pretend like we didn't drop a nuclear bomb on your people you know exactly. terrible terrible yeah, <laughs> there is no morality to the call uh, to the fouls in this story. Just, they just suck. <laughs> they, they are, they are, they are. Yeah, they are. They are bad people. Um, but also, I love this scene then, because the doctor is obviously so defeated and just so glum mm-hmm. about the fact that you know he just lost his two companions. They both died apparently. Um, the the fouls just committed genocide against the Khalids. <laughs> Which, and you know, obviously the fucking Davros is winning now, and just the Doctor's mm-hmm. so defeated, and yet the it's underscored by the applause from the fouls. It's such a great com- yes. It's it's so good. I love it. It is. It is uh, extremely, extremely well done. Uh, and the scene continues as the Doctor is then introduced to random female Thal lady uh, in a pretty pointless scene that's just mm. there to establish her coming back later on in the episode um, where she's chatting with the Doctor and she's like, Davros is such a good guy. He helped us nuke all of his people to death. And the Doctor's like, a good guy wouldn't do that. He's not a good guy. He's going to kill you with Daleks. Like... Yeah. But yeah, um, this is only and, yeah this is the introduction to only the second female character in this entire story. In the most iconic Doctor Who stories, there's only two female characters. Shocking. Yep, and even at that, calling them characters is a stretch. Yeah, because they don't do anything. Um, so she was actually supposed to be a male in the script, but she was changed to be a female instead uh the character was supposed to die but robert holmes didn't like the idea of female characters dying for some reason which is interesting <laughs> women women don't die women live forever <laughs> but, yeah but yeah and also just that's, ju- some, that's some that's some 1970s logic isn't yeah. it yeah and also just thinking about the crew working on this episode there's no females either so Liz Sladen and this woman are the oh my two gosh. ladies. Jesus, <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah, that must have sucked. Yeah, that that was sucked. That's that's depressing. Uh, but speaking of depressing, the episode continues as uh, we cut to Davros going over to one of his uh, scientist general soldier Nazi men, uh, and he's like, "You need to add these mutations to our." Uh, Gallic embryos immediately and the guy's like but this is gonna ruin their brains this is you know this is gonna give them developmental problems and he's like no it's going to give them advantages so you know we're gonna get rid of their emotion get rid of any of thing like that turn them into killing machines do it at once and stop questioning me you know at this point davros is go- he's getting almost like maniacal yeah. with the way that he talks you know he's yelling everything like <laughs> yeah michael Wisher is just so good in these scenes i'd love him so much he's so good <laughs> he is he is great which you know to be fair the two davros episodes that we've actually covered i've loved both of them mm. i think davros has given amazing performances in both episodes uh which obviously different actors um 
in those episodes. Uh, so, so I've not, I'm yet to see a bad Davros. I'm sure there's one out there. Like, <laughs> I mean, the next, the next time we see Davros in the Destiny of the Daleks is probably the worst Davros appearance because the mask just doesn't fit and the guy is trying his best, but he he's no Michael Wisher or Terry Malloy or Julian Beach. I think he's the weakest mm. Davros, but yeah, that's, that's definitely the worst Davros episode, the next one. Interesting. Uh, we then cut to uh, back to the Thals as we see them all celebrating and having a good time, and then they get mowed down by Daleks. And you may ask yourself, where did the Daleks come from? <laughs> How did the Daleks get to the Thal base? How did they get to this base without anybody noticing them coming in? These are all questions that you don't want to ask because you're not <laughs> going to get an answer to them. Like... Oh, yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense. And also, uh, the doctor tries to... He hides behind a corner, basically, with the, yeah. with the only other lady in the episode. And one of the Daleks... Three mm-hmm. Daleks cross the frame, but one Dalek gets stuck. Mm-hmm. He almost tips over. You watch it. You watch it like tip, and it like stays at the camera, and then everyone's just kind of looking at it, and then it wheels again. It's like, oh, that was that was a bit of tension right there. It almost ruined the entire shot. Like, yeah. You imagine if it fell over God. and they had to reset. That would have cost them so much. Yeah. Like, nightmare. And yeah, it show it, it proves why the director did not want to do exterior scenes with the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Like no wonder it's not even yeah. good in studio. Yeah. Uh, We then cut back to Davros, uh, who's yelling at all of his scientists, basically saying, all we are doing is Daleks now. Daleks, Daleks, Daleks. Stop everything out. Dalek time. Daleks. Uh, (laughs) And it's very good. Um. And we then go back to the doctor and the woman that he's with. Does she have a name? I haven't caught a name yet. I don't remember Um, even saying what her name is. You know, between... I'll, I'll look on Wikipedia to see if she has a name. We'll get to that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure she'll have a name in the script. Yeah. You know, but she's she's short blonde haired lady. Yeah. Um, she looks like she, she's like you know. Why she ha- looks like she would be cast as Peter Pan. Yeah. Yeah. Like a stage play of Peter yes. Pan. Yeah. Like a pantomime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she's she's like hiding next to like a wall or something with the doctor, and she's like, "Why haven't?" our people surrendered. I feel like if, if we were under this much of an attack, our people would surrender. And the doctor's like, maybe they did surrender, but the Daleks don't listen to surrender. The Daleks will just kill indiscriminately, which again, just adds even more great layers of darkness to this yeah. episode. Even more, even more pain and misery. Uh, and yeah. you want to know her name? Uh, it's foul soldier. Yes. <laughs> wow. They, she doesn't have a name. No, but to be fair, there's like four foul soldiers here, and there's even the Time Lord that uh, was a messenger to the Doctor is only known as Time Lord Messenger. It's also Khaled Leader, so mm. not a lot of names going on in this script. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Maybe um, Terry Nation's not good at coming up with names. And he's to be like, fair, ah, ah. to be fair, these are nobodies. We don't need to give them names. 
Yeah, I know, but it just adds that bit more humanity to them, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, this person that's working with the doctor. This, you know, she's with the doctor for multiple scenes, and he doesn't be like, you know, what's your name? You know, I give this bit of humanity, this bit of something that you can connect with them a little bit more. In this know? episode, uh, but... in this episode, she's probably with the doctor more than Sarah Jane in the last three episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legit. <laughs> probably got more to do as well. Um, but we then we then get a really nice shot of a Dalek going overhead them and yeah. the sky is like purple and full of smoke. It's such a vibe. This yeah. entire the entire shot is a is a vibe. Like it's so stylized and cool and sci fi and dark and yeah. it's just brilliant. It's and, it's and, brilliant. And it's perfectly lit so like the Dalek is mostly in shadow and you know obviously mm-hmm. the sky is burning with orange as well as purple it's it's really well lit and i really like it the, whoever did the lighting for this episode did such a great job with it for sure uh then the doctor is underground again don't worry about how he got there uh and he's getting attacked by some mutos um and they just kind of wail on him for a while until eventually <laughs> Harry and Sarah Jane run out of nowhere to save the Doctor. Um, and I thought it was strange that the Doctor, I, although I guess I was, I, I kind of thought myself out of it before I even said it. I was about to say, I thought it was strange that the Doctor basically just gives up and curls up into a ball. Mm. But at the same time, this is the Doctor where he thinks his companions are dead. Yeah. He thinks he's failed to stop the Daleks. He thinks Davros has won. You know, he at this point he has basically given up. Like you can see it on his face the entire episode. He is miserable. You know. Yeah. But also, it, one of the fowls. One no, sorry. One of the mutos has a giant rock, and and he's outnumbered. Looks like a clam. So he's just protecting his head, which is the best yeah. course of action you would do in this scenario. Like protect your head at all costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, the giant rock looks like a clam. It looks like a small <laughs> clam. Um. uh but yes the episode continues from there what timestamp are you at uh 10 54 oh yeah hang on i'll uh he talks with harry and sarah jane about how they need to get the time bracelet back you forgot that was a thing didn't you i (laughs) sure did because it they didn't talk about it for a whole episode like (laughs) I honestly, I was like, oh yeah, that, 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 that thing, we need that thing, don't we? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's really, really you know, kind of fell to the back burner. Yeah. We could have easily just asked the white haired Kryptonian dude. Yeah. Could you get to the time ring for yeah. us, please? Cause we kind of need it. <laughs> and also the whole reason yeah. why the Kryptonian dudes died so early on in this episode was because he was obviously supposed to die last episode. So that we wouldn't need to pay him for this episode, but obviously plans got shifted around so he got paid for this episode <laughs> he got paid more which is cool at least <laughs> good for him yeah great for him that's good for him the episode continues as we cut to some scientists <laughs> all plotting uh to betray davros basically saying like if we can all if we can get everybody to turn against davros there's nothing he can do you know we we can't allow him to continue wiping out the emotions in the daleks because that's completely immoral that goes against everything we believe in which again adding depth and shade to yep. the Khaled people fantastic uh, but it turns out that 
Davros's best right hand buddy is listening in. Uh, oh no, that is uh, not good. Or is it? Who knows? Uh, as we then cut to the doctor squeezing through some bars, but he doesn't need to squeeze through them because he was so big and strong before, he's opened them wide enough for everybody to fit in comfortably. Uh, as they step through, uh, the doctor stops uh, his Muto friend though and says, Go join the resistance group fighting the Daleks so that you can die and we can live. Um, <laughs> and you'll, you'll meet a lady I was working with who actually does have a name. We find yeah. out uh, <clears throat> she's called what? Betten, Betten, Beton, yeah, Beton. See, Betten, I got yes. confused because I was looking for a woman's name on the cast list. And there's somebody called Hillary minister, which I automatically assumed was a woman, but it's a man. So I got confused, yes. which is, I, I think you can well, say it's fair enough. <laughs> well, you know, the, it's the, the famous saying about making assumptions continues to live on, you know, is why you shouldn't assume because you make an ass out of you and me. Ah, Especially you. you. That's why I do it. I want to make you look like an ass by association. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to like, professionally remove myself from you at some point for sure oh yeah by the way um, you want to know what tv show this woman also appeared in take a guess blake seven blake yes seven. well done <laughs> how did you ever guess yeah, i'm so smart <laughs> i'm so smart i'm so smart uh uh the doctor and that walk through the bars and they uh continue through the underground layers uh as we hear the moaning of the clams the clams uh also i really like the idea because you know how the clams are like discarded experiments of Davros, mm -hmm. that at some point he was as a fervent believer that the way to defeat the uh, Thals and the way for the Khalid race to live longer and be better than everybody else was through clams. <laughs> and I just, I love the idea, the, the, the way that he screams about Daleks and the way that he screams about their superiority, he was doing the same with clams. <laughs> before yeah you know he's like, the clams are the way the clams <laughs> like, <laughs> it's such a strange choice to, to make to choose clams why yeah. what an, what an inefficient animal to choose to try to defeat your enemies with <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> it's basically the only failed experiment we see we saw like a dinosaur walk by like last ep episode two there's a dinosaur and a clam. Mm -hmm. I feel it feels like there's more inventiveness you can come up with than just that. You know, there's more ideas. Yes. But but I I don't know if you need more ideas because clams is so perfect. Like if <laughs> if I think like what's the ultimate the ultimate deadly animal that we have on our planet? You know, the ultimate thing that could could crumble nations. It's clams. And it's like I don't know how you come to any conclusion other than clams. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh we then cut to uh back to the science man as he is meeting or he's having a conversation with davros's right hand man who's like uh by the way i t i overheard what you were saying and i agree with you where can we meet and, and quietly and s to, to be able to discuss what our plan is going to be which me being the fool i am i actually fell for this i actually fell for for the the twist of this guy uh, I'll, I'll be honest i i making him turning good i kind of keep falling for it too even if i've seen this episode like eight times I keep falling for it <laughs> just momentarily it, it, it is it is very i think it's very well done because they have enough 
they've cast enough doubt on whether or not this guy is a fervent believer in Davros or whether he's a fervent believer in the Khaled people. And yeah. at this point, Dal- you know, Davros isn't working for the Khaled people. He's working for the Daleks, you yeah. know? Uh, also, what works, so you, here, you ha- what works here is the fact that all the Khaleds are turning against Davros and you kind of expect it to keep happening with, you know, every, fa- mm-hmm. every Khaled will be coming against Davros. So when one Khaled is working with Davros, it comes as a, as a surprise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very well done. Uh, speaking of things well done, we then cut to more clams as the Doctor and uh, Sarah Jane and Harry walk into a room oh, full of clams. And, and then the most, yeah. I've come up with a good title for this episode. Oh, yeah? What? <laughs> Silence of the Clams. <laughs> <laughs> i hate it i hate it <laughs> but i also i can't think of a better title so <laughs> um but the sarah jane and that walk into a room full of clams and some of the worst stage direction i've ever seen in classic who happens because the clams aren't moving they're not a threat yeah. <laughs> And and then Sarah and Har- and Harry are like, whoa, oh my god! And then Sarah like runs up to one and then stumbles back and then almost falls backwards into it. And I'm like, what is happening? What is going on that's <laughs> making you act like this? Just walk around them. Like it's so it's so absurdly out of place in this episode and feels like tacked on. It's it's unbelievable. It reminds me of the Mountain of Everest story from the Mister Show. Show? Have you ever seen Mister Show? No, I've I've not. Unfortunately, I'm... I I it, Mr. Show is one of those shows I've wanted to watch, but I've just never found okay. the time to do it. When we've done this, I'm going to send you a really good sketch because it's it's a, it's a sketch where this dude is telling a story of him climbing Mount Everest, but every time he tells the story, he keeps falling over, <laughs> and, and, he, right. and, and he keeps right. and there's like thimbles on the wall, and he keeps knocking over the thimbles on the wall, and you have to keep picking it up. And then the story becomes the story of how he tells the story, but he has to keep, but he keeps knocking shit over. It's a really good sketch, but it reminds me of, there's no reason for him to keep falling, but it reminds yeah. me of Sarah Jane here. Yeah, where she she is literally, <laughs> she's like, just like, whoa, whoa. That is so stupid. Um, so uh, and any, and like anyone really just look line. up um, Mr. Show with Bob and David, the Mountain of Everest sketch, and you'll find it on YouTube. It's really funny, worth watching. But pause this episode and come back to it once you've watched it and listen to the end of this episode as well, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, there's a really stupid line where Sarah Jane's like, oh, and I'm never eating oysters again. Gah. Uh, I hate it. I hate everything to do with clams in this episode. Like, <laughs> uh, but Harry, the Doctor, and Sarah Jane then climb through some venting um, as we cut away to uh, the science man walking through some dark, spooky corridors uh, looking for Davros's right-hand man. Uh, eventually, he finds him and... The, uh, just the reveal of uh, of this dude standing in the dark against a wall with a grin on his face is terrifying. <laughs> like, and, it is a scary shot. And, you know, if I was a science dude, I'd be like, 
this is a bit suspicious. Why are you just standing yeah, in the I'm dark? I'm gonna like die. This? Uh, you just go. Into, you just go into the room like, oh, I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> I'm dead, aren't I? I'm, and, I'm, and, you've got me. I'm dead. And like, also, <laughs> he has his iron cross back on him, which you won't have in the next scene. This is because this scene was shot around the same time as episodes one and two. So obviously, after episode two, they made the decision to not to get rid of the iron cross but now it's here again which is it's very distracting like if you make a decision just I stick think it's, to it i think it's strange to be making costume decisions when you're already starting to film yeah like for me if if we were shooting and we had already done two episodes where he had the cross on it's too late he has the cross on for the rest of the episodes yeah, we're exactly. not suddenly deciding he's taking it off you know that's that's such a strange decision to make um but this scene, I really, really, really like this scene. It's, it's, I think, maybe my standout scene in the two episodes, simply because it, it was a twist I didn't see coming, and I think the performances are amazing, where the right-hand man is chatting with the scientist, and he's like, I need, you know, I'm going to try and get the army on our side. We're going to take Davros down. We're going to do this. Who who can you bring to the table? Who who's who's supporting us so far? Like who's already on board? And the science guy lists off a bunch of names that he's that he's got helping, and then immediately the demeanor and the voice of the right hand man changes to become way more robotic and he's like ah thank you that's all i needed and davros yeah. comes out of the shadows and he's like haha you're gonna die and that performance switch from being like this panic like okay we can take down davros to actually i'm just a drone i am just working with davros i have no humanity in me at all is amazing absolutely yeah. phenomenal yeah like i said he his performance i think the whole performance from the guest cast in this story is really solid across the board but his performance is really good and also just a reveal of davros silhouetted in the darkness with with only his light oh, to be fair why didn't the guy see davros's light in this scene <laughs> don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> the one time it works and the guy doesn't see it <laughs> yeah uh and they, they, like, kill the dude, uh, or they, like, knock him out, at least. Uh, oh, yeah, the guy karate is him in the back of the neck. Um, and he asks Davros if he should kill him, and Davros is like, no, we're going to just get rid of those emotions that are making him act this way. You know, we're going to... We're, he's got such a brilliant scientific mind. We're going to let him keep his scientific mind and get rid of those stupid emotions. Yeah. Which is just terrifying. It's just, you know, just... I love, I love how awful davros is in these in these episodes it, it also reminds me of uh planet of the apes where we just lobotomize every human <laughs> mm -hmm. yes such a terrifying uh, thought <laughs> uh we then uh they get they like find out that people are climbing through the ventilation shaft and they capture the doctor sarah jane and harry and just immediately start torturing them really um and again, it leads to a scene I really, really like where Davros is talking to the doctor and he's like, I, you know, I, I, the computer doesn't think you could possibly be from the future. I'm willing to entertain that idea that you're from the future. You know, even if, even if the idea of time travel is beyond anything I could ever create, I'm willing to accept somebody else could create it. Um, and you know, tell me about my Daleks. What are they like in the future? Have they ever been defeated? And the doctor's like, oh yeah, they've been defeated before. You know, they, they've, they've caused so much pain and, and awful and suffering and they always come back, but they, they've been defeated before. 
which sends Davros basically mad, where he's like, how could that be? How could my Daleks be? You've got to tell me how, how, what their weakness is, uh, and leads him to just start torturing people, or, or threatening to torture Sarah Jane if the Doctor yeah, doesn't reveal this information to him. Uh, yeah, and, and Harry, le- to a lesser extent, uh, because <laughs> nobody cares about Harry. Um, <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, but I think that this scene is is excellent. It it plays into all the stuff that I really like when it it comes to classic Doctor <clears throat> Who and when it comes to just yeah. storytelling in general. I love it when you have two morally opposed characters. They sit in a room and they talk. Yeah, uh, but, it's fantastic to me. And this is the first proper time Davros and the Doctor actually meet. You know, like we we were in the same room before, but we didn't really interact. Here we're finally talking to each other. And yeah, every Davros and Doctor scene always seems to be just absolutely perfect. There's not a single bad one from the Capaldi episode, which I'm kind of mixed on. I don't hate the Capaldi episode. I'm just mixed on Mm -hmm, it. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And also, even (laughs) even when we did even when we did Resurrection of the Daleks, the scenes with Peter Davison and Davros were the best parts of that muddled story. The episode then continues as we cut to the Thal soldiers with the Mutos hanging out in the trenches, basically being like, you know, we're going to die, but we, we're, we're, we're going to just rest and wait here before we go into battle. And the Mutos being like, what? No, we need to attack now. Uh, which, you know, just kind of shows their two opposing ways of dealing with this. Yeah. You know, and they're having to work together after being enemies for so long. It's, it's great. It's really good. It's it's not the best stuff in the episode. Whenever yeah. the mutos show up, it's not the best stuff in the episode, but it's fine. Uh, it feels <laughs> like they could have cut out some of the clam stuff to develop like ten extra minutes of the mutos and the fowls, you know. How could how could how could you cut out the clam stuff? It's like the most pivotal stuff in the story. Like but, you the know, clam stuff I, is I... is what ties this whole plot together. But seriously, <laughs> I I do understand the need for filler in a six-part story, but it feels like you could fill those filler parts with some more character development. I don't know See, why. I don't, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. I don't know why you need to have filler in a six-part story because you could use six parts to your advantage and yeah. be like, oh my god, I can explore this world more. I can mm. do more stuff. I can have more conversations rather than ah, uh, they just fight clams for ten minutes, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really silly. Although isn't I guess, it? I guess that that's kind of like what happens, like when you have a writer that's in charge of writing like seventeen episodes in a season. Mm-hmm. You know, where they're like, I don't have time to sit and worry about fleshing out. The, this B story, I just need to hit 20 pages in yeah. this script. And the way I'm going to hit 20 pages is uh, then they fight some clams. And yeah. then I've got to move on to my next script immediately. You know, uh, like it was such a a different approach to producing television where it was more of a day job thing and less of you're doing it because you, you just love writing, you know? And also you need to consider the children audience. If you include more scenes, uh, they didn't of consider dialogue. the children. They didn't consider the children audience in this episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, if if you include more scenes of dialogue, the children are going to switch off and become bored. But if you include clams being scary or whatever, they're going to be more interested in theory. <laughs> in theory, yeah, I guess. 
uh, I, I don't know. I think you can make dialogue interesting yeah. for children. You know, it's it's all about presentation. But doing some spooky clams is the easiest option, <laughs> I guess. Um, but our last scene in the episode is just more torture with Davros, uh, where he's like, you will tell me. Uh, and he's just yelling that at the top of his lungs as the doctor's like, if I tell you I betray millions of people, it's not going to happen. And Sarah Jane's like, don't tell him, just let him do whatever he's going to do. And it's a really dark way to end this episode yeah. as we just zoom in to Davros's face as he's screaming uh, at the doctor. And, you know, Davros is a pretty spooky looking dude. And I imagine this costume back in the 70s would have been terrifying. You know, you see like his black teeth and everything as he's yelling. Uh, fantastic, fantastic episode. I really like this one. Um, yeah. And also I would say, I, I say the cl- I think the cliffhanger is a little bit weak. I feel like the cliffhanger mm-hmm. should have been, you know, davros turns up the dial and both harry and sarah are just in so much pain and there's your cliffhanger you know the characters are in peril whereas it's just yeah. davros shouting over and over again i feel like it's lacking it doesn't, something it doesn't really feel like a cliffhanger it feels more like the episode just suddenly comes to an yeah. end halfway through a scene you know which is kind of a classic who move as well. <laughs> sometimes there are no cliffhangers. Sometimes an episode just kind of ends. Sometimes uh, the cliffhangers are the friends we've made along the way. Yeah, sometimes the cliffhangers are the clams we've made <laughs> along the way. Um, you, you have and, to have clams yeah, in the that, title. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that is that is Genesis of the Daleks part three and four. So overall, Scott, we're halfway through this story now. You know, we've just finished the midpoint. You know, what what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm digging the hell out of it. It's it's as good as it's ever been. Every time I rewatch this, this is probably my most rewatched classic Doctor Who story. I've seen it like seven or eight times by now, and it it's just um, real. Every time I feel like I learned, I every time I feel like I get something new out of it because when I first saw it, I was just a kid. And I was like, oh my god, they're Nazis. But this time I'm really analysing <laughs> the facts. But, you know, every every group of characters isn't black or white. It's just, they're all, yeah. they all have depth. And there's so much mm-hmm. to analyse. Shades of grey. Yeah, shades of grey. 50 shades like, of grey. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so many. Uh, and, it, it, yeah, I, I, this, you know, this is obviously my first time going through it um and i i am very much enjoying it as well i really like character stuff and i think that that so far this is what the story's done really well is present interesting character stuff and present a depth that we've not had and a depth that we've not had at all this year going through the doctor who Mm. in chronological order you know with the doctors you know the first doctor there's not really there was no real depth to the time meddler it was an interesting concept more than anything um and then what was our second doctor story i've already the enemy of the world enemy of the world there was some interesting depth to that you know there with the idea of this benevolent leader but is he actually benevolent or whatever but that story also had its own issues that were Mm. separate from uh, what the the actual depth to it but that was a that was another really well written episode and then terror of the autons was silly a silly silly time yeah um <laughs> and this is such a juxtaposition i think to tear up the autons you know where instead of blue screen we're on a set instead yeah. of silly b 
acting and B characters. We've got really well written, really well performed characters, which I think just helps shows the versatility of Do of Doctor Who. You know, the variety that you get. It's such an amazing show, yeah, um, and I am I'm definitely enjoying this story. There is so many types of stories you can get out of this show, and this this is just proven. You know, twelve seasons in, this is episode five hundred of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> crazy to think about but yeah this is episode 500 or something and you're still finding new areas to explore in the universe which you know mm -hmm. is important you can't rely on the same old tropes every time you need to change yeah absolutely and this is uh just just very 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 good character stuff and what i like about it as well is there's so much to to chew on you know there's so much to think about so much motivation so many you know betrayals so much things actually happening yeah. that make it super super compelling uh definitely some good tv some good writing and just some good sci-fi and i'm excited to see what parts five and six uh give us as we, when we visit that next week but until then, you can find our show on YouTube at Who Watches Who, where it is available in video form. It's also available in audio form wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are listening to this in audio form, why don't you leave us a review? Uh, reviews go a really long way in actually helping promote the show. Uh, it's, it's strange, I know, and I don't fully understand why, but the more reviews a show has, the more it gets recommended into other people's podcast feeds, and the more likely people are to find and support the show which is really what we want we want more people to chat doctor who with more people to listen and celebrate the show that we all really like so if you can leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts or podcast addict or whatever podcasting uh app you use and that will be fantastic for the show and you know if you're watching this on youtube just leave a comment down below leave a like share the video if you can the more engagement we have the better it is for the show in a whole and that's really good and fun stuff uh you can find us on twitter at watches doctor and you can find us on facebook at who watches who if for all of your you know podcast updating needs it's where i post a bunch of links and on twitter we're, we're we're pretty engaged on twitter at the minute posting memes and replying to people and having a jolly old time on that hellscape of a website <laughs> uh you can find me on twitter at cloth223 uh, and you could also send us an email if you liked at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com and we will read that out at the end of the month in our monthly news roundup podcast as well as any comments we get on our YouTube. And I think that's all the plugs I've got. Yep. I think. Uh, next week we will be back wrapping up Genesis of the Daleks with parts 5 and part 6. But until then... Bye. Bye. Bye.